Hello? Hello? Yes. yes. Hello, okay. hello. Okay, I am going to start in the next time I speak to you. It's just like a second for that. Okay, here okay. we go. It's a real pleasure to welcome Lisa Scott Alini to now a major motion picture. I've been reading Lisa and I've known Lisa for a long, long time. And, and I always appreciated the fact that the first time I met Lisa, I accosted her in the lobby of a hotel in Philadelphia to tell her that I thought her publisher was not giving her good enough paper for her books. <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> and so it begins. A great, a great, great friendship. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And it's been fun to see the way your writing has evolved and the different areas you've uh, delved into and writing men as well as women. So uh, it, it has been great. One of the things, Lisa, uh, first of all, thank you for, for joining us. One of the things, speaking of your work, one of the things I love about it is you managed to write these uh, very suspenseful thrillers with terrific elements of mystery and danger and everything, and yet you also very often seem to keep the humor throughout and, these, and even include a lot of cultural references, a lot of the references to your upbringing as an Italian-American, and you're sort of, I notice in your books, you're sort of juggling these things uh, very successfully. Are you aware of doing that when you're doing it? Are you conscious of it? Do you find it challenging? Well, it's nice to observe that, Ryan, and thank you for it. You know, it's funny you mentioned it because in the beginning, you know, you're just a person. This is like 30 books ago, and you don't even know you're going to write a series and or whatever you're going to write. I'm going to write a series and not a series and all kinds of different things. But I remember distinctly sitting down. My daughter was um, really young then. And I said, I found this character sort of coming out, which sounds so strange, but, you know, there she was, and she was a lot like me, and she started to make some jokes, and she was super close to her family. Like, she would come home for Sunday dinner, and they were visiting her at her law firm, and I remember I stopped, and I thought, can you do this? Like, what are the rules? I am a good girl, you know, I try to get good grades, I try to follow the rules, and I was like, what are the rules? I've never read this, and I said, well, you can't. You can't write anything but what you are writing, so you might as well go and see what it is, like see if that's okay. And, you know, I'd love to say to you, and it went great, but actually there was about five years of rejection until it finally did go great. And that character was Mary Nunzio. But I remember specifically saying I've never read people joking around in legal thriller. But the truth is I think smart people joke around and make each other laugh and blow off pressure that way or just like to enjoy life, you know. And so you, your character has to be all that you can bring to it. And as you change or use different facets of yourself, you know, some are more Italian than others. Some are Jewish. Some are born here. Some are, are not American at all. Some are men. As Joe points out, I remember for the first 10 years, I, I only wanted to write, I only was too nervous to write a book about a man. Now, this is the you know, the damage that two divorces, will, you know, will, will bring. You're like, I might not understand men. <laughs> but, um, but then I said, well, hell, you know, you, I was super close to my dad. And so I was like, just, just pretend they're all, you know, pop and go. And then, then, then something breaks for you. I'm, I'm convinced that, um, excuse me, in life, you've asked one question and three hours later you'll be looking at your watch. But I, I do think a little bit, um, for me, I have to, there's a seal that I have to break. I just have to do it the first time. And then I go, okay, look, you did that 
that that didn't suck. And so then you keep doing it and you get better at it because at some point you give yourself permission to try. And that's what happened. That's my whole career in a nutshell. You should end the interview right now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Lisa. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Well, you know, Lisa, it's funny you should talk about the humor being so natural because I have talked to theater people who say that they believe that it's impossible to really have a great play that has no humor. And they always like sort of point to long day's journey into night, which people think sometimes is the most depressing play ever written. And yet throughout that play, there are wonderfully funny bits like the cheapskate father turning off the lights all the time, you know? So I, I tend to believe that life, Real life is a mixture of of the comic and the tragic. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And when does he, what's the difference between humor and wit? You know, smart mm-hmm. people are witty, yeah. and they their their minds are active. And so, yeah, why not bring it? Why not bring it? Bring all of it. Bring whatever you got. That's sort of how I've come out. Yeah. Well, and I think it's you know, especially in your books, the, the, as I say, some of the the best humor came at times when your characters are are in their most dangerous peril. But that's that's what we do. I mean, we should go ahead and say right now this is being recorded in the uh, in the middle of of the lockdown. Everybody is sequestered away for the coronavirus right now. But what have we all been doing? I mean, we're all nervous, we're all scared, but we're also sending jokes to each other left and right because that's how we cope, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's really important. I mean, it's, and it's also, you know, it's important in fiction, too, because um, nobody wants to read about a character who feels sorry for herself or him. Right. Yeah, really unattractive, I think, in almost any You know that, I mean, I, I, it's, right. And you sit there and you step away and you go, all right, what's funny about this? And you find, you know, in a way, your characters model what you are, and you become strong by your character, which is really a crazy thing that happens. But I think um, it's absolutely true. I mean, whatever test life hands you, there will you've got humor is great under pressure, and that's what I always sort of look for. I mean, I'm here with my daughter, and we're kind of cracking each other up, but we're we're scared out of our minds, right? And also very sympathetic. I know I never, and you know this, we all feel the same way because. You know, I, I write a Sunday column for the Inquirer, and I'm sort of called chick wit. It's the lighter side of, well, you can't write the lighter side of the coronavirus, except that I'm trying to. Right. Because people look to me for that, and I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. So what, what yeah, can we you need, do? We need, we need that. Right. So do I. Yep, more than ever. That's why That's why the arts matter. That's really it. Isn't it? Like, have we ever had the pedal to the metal like this before? No, or whatever no. you know. No. And it's what we're, again. It's what we're going to, isn't it? We're reading books, we're watching movies, watching television, and everything. That's where people go, uh, you know, for not only for entertainment, for life affirmation, and everything else. That's really true. I mean, the other day when we were looking for what to watch, you know, for something together, I said Francesca had never seen Moonstruck. And I was like, Moonstruck is. <laughs> so, well, I knew you'd love that, John. You gotta watch Moonstruck, <laughs> man. This is, and she was roaring. I mean, uh. So anyway, that's what's so great about being a human being. And we're so lucky, the three of us, to just be engaged in this enterprise where we get to write it and talk about it and, and look it over and analyze it and view it if we're lucky. You totally, know? totally. 
Well, our podcast, uh, we like to speak to authors about uh, sort of the bridge between the written word and, and their works, um, possibly going to either the big or the small screen. I understand that you have had some books option. What has been your experience down that road and working with Hollywood and uh, – where, where are you on that? Have you, have you yeah, had much experience Yeah, it's been a fun one. I, I get options. Right now I have some really great options. I, mean, I get optioned a lot, um, which is wonderful. It's a trickier business when it's um, a series versus not. For a while I was, you know, I was a little nervous about a series because I still write that series and I like these characters and I had some trepidation um, about anybody filming them. But what happened so far, we've gotten options and enough, things have gotten in development morass. It was even funny, too, with um, this nonfiction series I wrote with my daughter, as I say, is a humor column about our lives. We, we're options for, for that as well. That option is still alive. So there are actually people playing us. My new news in that regard is kind of nice, which is that um, one of my books, One Perfect Lie, was optioned by Quibi, uh, which is a new platform. It looks like it actually might happen. I'm really oh, excited. Terrific. Oh, that thing that has the short film? Yes. It yeah. is a um, – Quibi was a was a it's a platform in which everything is ten minutes. Right. So every episode is ten minutes, and the book is one perfect lie. I don't really, I don't think I'm giving anything away about it to sort of say that in the beginning of the novel you think it's a bad guy, but pretty quickly in page thirty you find out that he's an undercover cop posing as right. a bad guy. Right. And um, so I'm excited about that because uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of notes on what do I think. I don't know if they're just being nice, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I don't have any say in writing. I'm not, you know, an executive producer or anything like that. But it's interesting because the besides the fact that it's 10 minutes, it's on. It's the first screening of it, and they're not sure when this will happen given all the stuff that's going on. Right. It's on the phone. It's made for your phone. Right. Um, and a year after that, it will be all compiled and then put on other platforms like Netflix and everything. So it's sort of interesting because you know. Uh, look, I'm, I love books. I'm a book lover, um, and I love reading them, and I love writing them. Um, but I do care. I do want more people to read my books. So I'm not so much a pure, you know, I hope that these, I try to get in business with people I think will do a really great job. Um, this this Quibi series is with Bruckheimer Television. Like, they're good, right? They're good. They're yeah. good. So... I, I, I'm optimistic about it. It would be wonderful if it happens. And so far, so good. We'll see what happens. Is it something that you would, would you be interested in, in taking on a role as an executive producer or possibly getting into the screenwriting or having some say in casting? Or is it something that you'd rather just sort of hand it over? And I, you know, just... it's such a good question. The weird thing is, I don't even know, Ryan, you've been in this business, so you probably know more. I, if I, um, the thing about being me is that I'm kind of a, a lady in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I obviously have friends and will sort of are in somewhat remote touch. So I, if the answer is I don't know what it, what it involves. I will tell you that I feel very lucky in my life. I worked, I've, I've, I have the job I want and I've worked really hard for it. And I sort of love that I can control everything in my little, whatever I want to write about. I just wrote about historical fiction just because I wanted to. I'm like, this is kind of great. After 30 books, you know, you can do this. You still have to prove it. You still have to submit an outline. Somebody still has to say it's okay. So I, I kind of, and I also like a quiet life. And this might be more than you want to know, but, you know, I, I live a quiet life. I'm not sure I want to get on planes and argue with people and have to convince them that I'm right when I only think I'm right. 
a middle-aged woman is not a good team player, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I think I, I'm, I'm just sort of happy if I can get to create, create content, whatever we want to yeah. call it. Be the right. person who writes the stories. And because, right. of course, in this deal, I haven't given away my right to be, write about the character. And I actually began that book thinking, wow, this would be a really good series because in Greece, the character is an undercover cop partly because um, he's an ATF agent. And I spent like four hours with Philadelphia ATF. They were so nice to me. And um, he has in his background, you know, as you know, in any kind of, especially a thriller, in my opinion, but even a thriller, you're talking about a character and what forms him. And this is a character who has been, who was a foster child. So he's been in 13 different foster homes. And I did a lot of research, foster child system in Philadelphia and what that actually involves. And so in a way, you know, you typically have a character who's engaged in some top line story with some backstory that informs it, right? And that's true of any book in the world. Well, in this book, you have a character who can have 13 backstories. Like she's a guy, you know, you go, why are you becoming under cop? And I I talked to this ATF guy. He obviously can't reveal anything more than that. And, you know, we talk about, well, this is a character, the one that I made, who has a fragmented personality as a result of his upbringing. So he's actually more undercover. You know, when you think, I'll sort of finish this point in a minute, but when you think about, like, I love Donnie Brasco, right? Sensational movie. Oh, yeah. Right? I I watch it every time. And that's the more typical story where somebody loses himself. He's a normal guy who loses himself a little undercover, and a lot of undercover stories, the guys get burnt out. Well, this guy is burnt out when he's not undercover. He's so fragmented. And I thought that's really good for a series because that's why One Perfect Lie is the initial one. Let's introduce him and let's yeah. start to show that, you know, you have his friend and his friend says, pal, you know, you need to get off this case. And he, and he realizes that he, comes, he can't get off the case because that case is his identity. And it's, right. so you can see it sort of becomes um, – I always think of that dumb TV show. I'm so freewheeling here. But do you remember, was, it, was it My Name is Errol or whatever it was where the guy had to go and he did, he went throughout his life and went, visited everybody he did wrong to. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I, 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 I should know this. I don't know why it just came to me. But the idea is the same thing, which is you could have 13 episodes and 13 episodes will resolve a backstory with each individual family. Now, I think yeah. I pitched this to them for Quibi. They can do it however they want to do it. But when I write this and I will write it, that's yeah. all I'll do it. And right. I forget what that was the answer to, but I'm sure it was an incredibly good answer. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lisa, you, you mentioned Donnie Brasco. And right. I know movies are very important to you. And part of what we do on this podcast is ask our writer people about adaptations that they particularly have enjoyed, loved over the years. And I know already or I want to talk to you about The Godfather because we have gone deep diving into this for for many years and fascinated by both films. Right. I mean, what can you say about the lure, the endless fascination of The Godfather movie? The endless, endless for me, endless. My daughter will come through with you. Are you watching that again? I'm like, yes, I am. And then and two minutes later, she reads down. Oh, my God, this is the part one. This is the part one. I, I, I mean, I, I would like to say, I don't know. But for me, here's what it is. So I actually thought that I was trying to get it 
And, you know, this is the stuff where you can't even be coherent, even though you're trying to. Like, I'm trying to impress the both of you and your listeners and try to say this in a coherent <laughs> fashion. But it's something like this. It's something like this. Because here's what I Throw think. it all out there. Okay, here we go. What, gets, what I think works secretly in that book is that when you have Michael in the beginning, and it's true in the book and it's also true in the movie as well, although I think they, they don't make it as clear in the movie. Michael is a war hero. At the right. beginning of the book, he has served in war. He has won. He, he, he's great. He's a hero. He's been decorated. He knows how to shoot. Recall, though, that in the, interestingly, in the movie, it's, they have to, Paulie has to take him downstairs to tell him how to shoot a short gun. Because yes. he, mm-hmm. right? So the whole yeah. branch in The Godfather, is he, it's really kind of like, what is a hero? Because he begins as a hero. Yeah. On a high note, he's moral. He's the college boy, and then there's mm-hmm. that great point where he realizes, that, you know, you know, I can kill them. And when they're all sitting together in the in the study, and then he goes, uh, you know, I can do it, and they all laugh. And Santino says, yeah, college boy. And mm-hmm. you know, so what happens is, as Michael, if you if you grasp it, like you have a really you have a really high note for him at the top of the chart. Yeah. War hero comes home. He's out of the family business in terms of our conventional notion of justice. He's on the side of the law. He's a, and then he begins his descent. And his descent begins, you know, the, the first mood is when he, just, when, he shoot, when he murders. And then they begin to think of him as he could, he could become the patriarch. But basically, in terms of the morality, it starts high, it ends low. So his graph mm-hmm. begins upper left and goes, shoots right down. But his, his power graph, begins lower left. So his paragraph right. is, I'm, I'm the job that they all want. They don't think it. They don't think I can do anything. Yeah. They don't trust me. They don't even think I can fire a weapon, even though I've been in a war. Starts yeah. low and then goes high as they actually, to get their self-esteem, as he ascends in their eyes and power, his morality descends. And there's some, it sort of sounds simplistic and it's probably maybe obvious, but for me, Something secret happens in that wrench. It's that wrench. It's like pure irony that he, yeah. as he becomes better, he becomes worse. And yeah. it never stops. It no, begins and, at the beginning, right? And it begins at the beginning, and it goes right to the end. And right well, to and very, he starts out really to save, to help his family. And the horrible irony that never ceases to just tear me apart is that he ends up destroying the whole family. Yes. Yes. And Including so like, killing his poor, sad brother, Fredo. You know, you, uh, you think that after all that time has passed, after Fredo has betrayed him, that Michael is really going to get over it. You know, and the movie proceeds. And then when you realize that he's just waiting for their mother to die. Right. Just, I mean, that just gets me every time. That's like the one scene I can't watch and when I hear that gunshot. Ugh. Oh. Like, oh. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, Lisa, that, that I love about the movie is I've watched it so many times that now I'll go on different tracks of watching one character. Like, for instance, I have said to <laughs> friends, I have said to friends, I want a movie just about Al Neary. Al <laughs> You know, who in, in the first movie, he's basically in the background of every scene, barely says a word. But you realize that as this epic proceeds, he's going to move to the most heart-stopping moment of shooting Fredo. Oh. 
yeah. You you know, know, Al Neri in the book is a bigger character. Al is Neri he, I haven't is read a, the book in a long time. The book is great because, like, you know, so I was, used to teach this class at Penn Law School, and it was called Justice and Fiction. And yes. so when you read the book, it's a great book. Obviously, all the stuff is there that's in the movie. Yes. So the, the beginning of the story is all the stuff you know. The middle third is the, you go to Hollywood, and it's all the Johnny Fontaine story. And there is this huge extended risk, which honestly is really bad. And it's about <laughs> um, the Hollywood women who like to have operations on their vagina to make it tighter. No, this is the whole thing. Okay, now, I teach, I, I sit in front of, it's 100 lawsuits in this class. And, like, they're mortified and offended. And I'm just going, look, this, okay, this was some frolicking detour. I don't know what happened to Puzo in this party. He lost his damn mind. Right. You know, when they got it together. But, but then, they, then after that third, you get out of, get out of Hollywood. And you come back to where you want to be, which is on Long Island with people shooting each other. But it, the book is really different in, in, in those ways. But obviously the core of it is, you know, the core of it is just so awesome. You can't get over it. You now, know, Lisa, some, I haven't read the book in ages. I have to go back and read it. Does, does Connie get as much space in the book as she does in the, like the second Godfather film in particular? The, the Connie never, Connie doesn't get the space. And I, and it, you know, it's funny. Um, She gets, she gets more in the movie. There was about 10 years ago, I don't know if you read about this, but they were going to, um, they were asking around mystery writers. I was asked to do it. I guess everybody was turning it down. We were probably all crazy too. But did you want to write um, some Godfather's people? Right. Some, somebody did write it. And, um, and I was like, you know, for a day, I can be talking to anything. As I said, that's why I'm the worst place. I'm like, that sounds like a good idea. Oh, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. No. But there was a day when I thought, what would I do? Because, you know, it was kind of like, yes, to like sequel to the Bible for me. I'm like, oh, excuse me. I mean, I love the movie. I love the book. And, yeah. and I thought I would have done Connie's story is what I would have done. Oh, that would have been great. Right? Yeah. That, that, like, what is her deal? You know, what, because, like, in the movie, how she comes back, and remember, she's smoking the cigarette, and she wants money, and and then yeah. she turns good, and you're not really sure why, but I don't know. Connie's great. I would well, she has, about Connie. she has, to me, one of the greatest horrible lines in the two movies when she sees, says, because I need money. Mm. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and the only, one of the only things I like about the third movie, which I sort of put off to the side, is the little glimpses of Connie you get as sort of a Lady Borgia character in her old Yeah. Movie, capable of poisoning people. You know? <laughs> I actually need to see the third one because I'm, I'm, I bet you guys are like me where you, we've seen the first two so many times. Yeah, that yeah. I think I've, I've seen the third exactly. one maybe twice. Including its exactly. original theatrical run, and and maybe it's worth uh, another look. I mean, it's sort of terrible. To, uh, well, I agree to with you. I'm going to give it another look because what's great about up, video, it's so great. What's great about video is you can skip around in Godfather Three. That's what I do to just the Connie scenes, mm-hmm. the Michael and Kay scenes, and of course I avoid uh, the Sofia Coppola scenes. Right. Because but, you know, she's such a great filmmaker, Joe. She's such a great filmmaker, but I think her father did her wrong. She just wasn't, yeah. I think she found her, obviously, she found where she belongs is at, totally. the, at the 
at the computer writing scripts and behind the camera shooting them because oh, she is a terrific filmmaker. But I, I think she was oh, put in a horrible uh, oh. position. And kudos to her for for coming out from uh, from behind that. So we yeah. have to ask, as we're talking about this, we have to ask. Um, I think we are all in agreement that the first two are much superior to the third. But between the first and second, do you guys have a uh, a favorite? Tough one. Tough call, right? I, I first. Here's, here's my thinking on that. It's one movie. Because mm-hmm. the sequel was made two years later, and mm-hmm. because they can be interconnected perfectly, and, you know, you get the, the dad's backstory in the second one with De Niro at his best. I've mm-hmm. always thought of it as one big epic. I would not say I like one more than the other because, to me, they fit together Perfectly, And then you have that incredible flashback at the end of the second one. To me, again, one of the great moments mm-hmm. in the film, when just before Michael is descending into hell, you get that flashback of everybody gathering for their father's birthday party. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, again, that just kills me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a good answer. I what he said. <laughs> I think no. I actually I've never heard it said because everybody always says, oh, it's two or it's one and everything. But I I tend to agree, I, and I uh, I think that is the perfect answer, Joe. I, I really do. Yeah. I always kind of yeah. say, well, I like the Brando stuff from the first one, but I like the flashback stuff from the second one. You know, and all this is to say, I I think to to consider them as one movie is is probably the. Uh, the, you because know. you know, you know, it's the only case in the history of the Oscars where a sequel has also won Best Picture. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can't get over it. This is making me want to go see it now. How beautiful. Because, you know, as you know, you know, when you write, you're like, there's th- like I was saying before, there's things I think I can't do. And I, I used to think, oh, how do you do a flashback? Like, how do people do that? And when I saw that, that second number two, and I was like, this is so beautiful. It's oh, my beautiful. God. It's beautiful. It's and stunning. How, oh, <laughs> it's so rich. Now I still think how can I do that, but now at least I try. Oh, yeah. it's so rich. It's like Once Upon a Time in America, another great. It yeah, becomes, uh, these things become, you know, they become a story of America somehow, and it's just amazing. It's just totally. amazing. And, you know, Lisa, that's uh, the last thing I want to ask you about The Godfather. I mean, it, you can you can not answer if you don't want to, but sure. I mean, there's always been a sensitivity by some Italian Americans about the Godfather movies. I know recently Chris Cuomo was quite upset when somebody called him Fredo. You know? Oh my God, I, that was the funniest thing ever. As I said to Ryan, he reacted much more like Sonny. I would have no no problems if somebody compared me with my brother and called me Fredo because Fredo was so sweet, so loyal. I know. You know, but what do you think as an Italian American about that whole? That's so fascinating. Well, first of all, I love the Cuomo's like that, you know, but I mean, when they said, when he said, oh, look, I watch all media. So I'm a big housewives person. And, like, if you watch Beverly Hills Housewives, they'll always say things like, well, that's how we do it in Beverly Hills. Just because they're trying to shoehorn their BS into whatever the, the motif is of the show. You know, they have yeah. to sell that, so that's it. Yeah. So, when, when, so when Chris says, well, that's considered an insult by Italian people, and I was like, I, I've been Italian my whole life. I've never, no one even knows, that's not a thing. You can't make that a thing. 
Stop trying to make tech happen. It's not going to happen. So, look, I'm a mob junkie. I mean, I think, um, you know, and also a First Amendment fan. I, like, I think if yeah. you're an Italian-American, you, you never stop talking. Yeah. And you also place great value on speech. So to me, hey, you can tell a mob story. There's a, there is a mafia. It exists. Yeah. If it didn't exist, none of it would ring true. Um, but to me, also, the answer to, to bad speech is good speech. I've, a lot of my characters are Italian-American. None of them are right. mobsters. Right. Um, right. So you can, if you really want to put something out into the universe, you can. But you, mu- you must never take anything away. And look at look how that art has struck people. People see that. And, and like I say, like you, like you guys are saying, too, it's really it's about so much more than being a mobster. It's about the story Absolutely. of a country and justice yeah. and corruption. Family. And God, family, family, yeah. family, and you know, right, and even how to make tomato sauce. I don't think it gets better than that. I <laughs> no, <really don't>. I know. I mean, there is literally a cooking lesson, and I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> have, have rewound it and gone back to that scene uh, for that reason. That's exactly. Right. I, I I think it's one of those movies, rare movies that has everything in it, you know. And yeah. And the the thing I think that really baseline gets me is the portrait of a family growing yeah. and then declining, you know. And I yeah. I, you know, I'm from an Irish German background, and yet all of that stuff rings so true to my experiences with my family. Of course. Yeah. Well, I think it's sort of universal. I mean, I've heard said, I've, I don't know if it was Coppola or Puzo once that, you know, it's very much Macbeth. You know, Macbeth came yeah. back a war hero at the beginning. Yeah. It's just what you were saying before, Lisa. He, you know, he's the golden boy, war hero, everything is great. And then he has this sort of descent that comes along, you know, the, as he's going down, his power and, and is, is going up. And it, it is very much about the corruption of, of the soul. It's a, about abuse of power, uh, unchecked ambition. Yeah. And these are universal. And they're not just Italian stories. In the case of Macbeth, they're Scottish stories. They're definitely oh, American I never, stories. I never, I, I'm fascinated to hear that about Macbeth. I'm going to think about that. I had not, you know, I had not heard that analogy, but it's really apt. And very much so, and it's also the, you know, it's it's the family in the case of Lady Macbeth is sort of the one sort of pulling a lot of the strings behind Macbeth, and I think uh, it is all these people around Michael that are sort yeah. of guiding him and steering him into this thing. I often wonder, what is the source of his, you know, the loss of his soul? Is it yeah. that he hates that he's, you know, he feels the responsibility to the family, and he hates himself for doing it, or... Like what? It, what? What is it that actually corrupts him? You know, I wonder what the source of that. How he goes from point A and after uh, to point Z, and it's a yeah. pretty big descent. Yeah. Um, I wonder what it. You know, and I guess it's open to interpretation. That's a good question. Probably, I don't really yeah. know of him. I maybe. I mean, I should know, but I think. I think it is the power. I. I think it's a little power in ego, don't you? That he had yeah. been marginalized before. Yeah. And yeah. He can. You know. Even the I stuff do. where it gets to a three where you they keep pulling me back in is a little bit self-serving. You know, nobody's pulling him back in by that point. He well, just you know, it's loves also it. to, to me, fate is such a big role because if Sonny had not been killed, Michael would have never risen into that position. Mm-hmm. You know, That's I mean, Sonny, Sonny was really the one who was angling, ready to take over. And when he gets machine gunned, that 
the whole story pivots onto Michael, you know, and he he would have been happily probably married to Kay up in New Hampshire or wherever the heck she's teaching, you know, and lead, led a peaceful life, I think. But I always you know, got it. I agree with you, but I also always got a sense that the Dawn would much rather have been Michael. I mean, even though he says, I didn't want it to you, I didn't want it yeah. to happen, but I, you know, I get a sense that he would much rather – you know, Michael's temperament as opposed to Sonny's. I mean, he, right. you know, maybe, he, maybe. he chastises Sonny in front of, you know, in, in, in front of others. Don't speak your mind. Don't do, you know, all the stuff that Michael right. knew better than to do. And I think the Don knew that. Totally. It's so totally interesting because when I think on the first time, like you can remember the first time I saw it and when they killed Sonny, I couldn't believe it. I you know, know, Joe, you mentioned what's about like in Psycho when they killed Janet. Yes. You're like, yes. wait, what just, wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Whoa, mm-hmm. bottom just yes. dropped out of the story. And when you tell it, you know, like the, the nature abhors a vacuum, there essentially becomes a power vacuum. And as you say, oh. Joe, like, you know, yeah. he steps through. But when I first saw that, I was like, he's dead? Like, yes. you're not going to, it's not yeah. going to be, he's going to come to life in the hospital? Like, oh my God. Well, that's why Unreal. it's so damn powerful in part two when they got Khan to come back and you see the flashback and almost everyone seated around that table has either died ah, brutally or... Right. Killed. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. so heartbreaking in a way. And you long for the day when they were all around the table and yes. you know, you're like, oh my God, these are mobsters and I, I adore them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's how, how do we get, how do we, I love when you can write these, I mean, J.R. Ewing comes to mind, you know, where you have these sort of monsters, these yeah. villains and yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you, you love them. And I think that's where the family element comes oh, in. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's I mean, like it may be a, yeah, go ahead. No, you. Uh, that may be, you know, not to get off on a completely other subject, but the Irishman, which we just, which we all, you know, just came out, we saw, and I very much liked it. But to me, it, it was it was losing that sort of family element. I did, I just didn't feel like it was in, as emotionally engaging to me. Much more political, I think, and whereas The Godfather is much more about, and even Goodfellas to an extent, is much more yes. about sort of family and relationships. Yes, um, I was. Yes. That's what I was going to say about Goodfellas because. There's no happier time than the front end of Goodfellas, even yeah. though everybody gets killed. But by the yeah. end, yeah. you're like, the second half of Goodfellas, sometimes I just can't even watch it. Because I want to live in the world where, you know, we got the front seat at the club I didn't want to oh, go to. Yeah. Like, well, I want to, like, start smoking. I mean, yeah. And, you're, yeah. And there's romance. You know, oh, they're all yeah. bad boys and they're all sexy. And, you know, and then you go, oh, my God, oh. they're all on coke and it's a mess. And, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. and the yeah. wife gets cooked on drugs too you know you talk yes. about you talked about the spaghetti sauce scene in the first godfather the spaghetti sauce scene in goodfellas where they're trying to make the spaghetti and the helicopters are flying over oh, and they're right, yeah, exactly. right. drunk yeah. out on dope i mean my yeah. God. oh you know in the kitchen and it's all you know it's all <laughs> you probably well, you know <laughs> probably more, like even casino like the first half of every mob movie is great and then the second yeah. half, you want to shoot yourself. You know? Well, I do. I think it's. I think it's the seduction. It's the Faustian seduction of the whole. Yes. Thing. It's, it's uh, you know, this is this is where you go, but you, it's gonna catch up to you. You're gonna pay a price for it. I think in the case of Goodfellas, it's certainly after uh, the Billy Bat scene where they kick Billy Bats, you know, and he's bleeding oh. all over the floor. And there's a shot oh. of Ray Liotta. I think. I think. Uh, the Joe Pesci character says, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to get blood on your floor. Ray Liotta right. looks at him and there's just, it's like, to me, that's where it switched with Liotta. He was like, 
how did it yeah. get to this and what, yeah. what just happened? You know, this is, yeah. this ain't what, what I signed that. on for. Right. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. And we get wow. to go through all of that vicariously, you know, and, and see sort of the up and the down. It's, it's really a fascinating thing. Yeah. Really fascinating. Well, Lisa, we could talk to you all day about mob movies. <laughs> you guys are so fun and great. I love you both. Kind of let so let you let you go. And I want to thank thank you again for taking part. Thank you, thank so, you much so much, Lisa. You guys are both great. And this is just a great idea for a podcast. I can't wait to hear all the others. Okay, well, take care now. Thanks thank so you much. so much, guys. Stay well. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, that's where I'll cut it. All right. All right. Thank you. That was fun, Joe. It was fun. And a lot of fun. <laughs> I could, it, ran, it ran a little long, but I don't think that's a bad thing. No. I And, gosh, we could have – you know we could have gone on for three hours. I mean, <laughs> that was a really, really fun one. She's terrific. What we've got to do is, is, is have drinks with Lisa and just go at length. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've got we do we've got to do that. So this is the thing. It's like with Tom Straw. We you know we we need to do the uh, the postscript drinks meeting totally. um, debrief uh, after all of these. So hopefully sooner like, rather than later we'll be able to do that. It'll be like a club, you know. Yeah, exactly. Club. Exactly. Well, I, will, I will talk to you later, Ryan. You hang in. Okay, there. Joe. This was a lot of fun. You too. And literally, don't don't get down and everything. If if you want to just do what we were just doing and just chew the fat for a little bit, just for some company, call me anytime. I'm. I'm oh, around. I will. I will do that. Thank you, Brian. All right. Talk Take to you care. later. Bye bye.